snow. I'm not sure I know what to do. I, I got me one helper, right? It comes a lot of snow. He said he'll help me dig my car out tomorrow. Hmm. Uh, I know to y'all, snow is just another day, another what? Just another day, right? Now, for folks born in Florida, now this is exciting. I was telling Jamie, I might have to get there and make a, what do you call it, a angel. snow angel? Uh, no, no. <laughs> That's why I told him they'd have to pick me up after I try. But, uh, but no, snow, that's, that's, that's interesting, very interesting. Uh, turning your Bibles, First uh, Timothy, and as you turn there, again, I'll introduce myself, Eddie Mills, you know, missionary to China. My wife's in China right now. Uh, she had returned earlier than I. Each uh, February, March, we come out to do a recruitment at Pensacola Christian College to take teams into China. I've got a, a heart to introduce missions to people, not just to reach the people that God has sent me to, but to get other people involved in missions. And what better way to do it is get them to understand that you don't have to be called to missions to be used in missions. And so I get a chance to go to Mission Prayer Band, and I'll have several hundred young people at Mission Prayer Band that I'll announce to them how they can be used in missions. And uh, I've tried to really stir up our young people as far as college age. What group has to give, uh, upon graduation, their religion, they have to give two years to the Lord? I say to the Lord, but to their church. Mormons, they have to. Upon graduation, they must give two years. Now, why can't our young people volunteer one? And so when I go to Pensacola Christian College, I'll mention that to them and some other colleges. say, you know, you've got a chance to do something on a voluntary basis and you don't have to be a seminary graduate. You know, if you're an education major, you know, come to China, use your education as a means to be a witness to the people of China. And they'll get, uh, I warn the students, they'll get asked many questions and very simple questions and questions of curiosity. And Jamin can probably attest to some of these questions. They probably ask him, Does, do you smoke? I think all Americans smoke because we're the Marlboro man, the Marlboro commercial. Do you drink? Uh, you know, America's king of beers. So they're not trying to tempt you. They're just trying to figure out if what they've read about America is true. And when they, all these answers are no, 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 then they'll ask why. And you say, well, I'm a Christian. Someone will do this. Oh, you're a Christian because they've seen this on TV. So they, they think they know America, but they don't. And as they start realizing all these answers are no, and I'm not that, I'm not this, then it's okay for our students to say, yes, I'm a Christian. And then sometimes more questions will come, or a lot of times questions will not follow. But you'll watch questions change from questions of curiosity to questions of interest. And little by little, it's the first time, basically, when East meets West, and there's a lot of things that we even assume about them. What's some things we might assume about all Chinese people? Somebody tell me something you would assume about all Chinese people. They ride bicycles. And that's pretty much true. <laughs> but now it's electric bikes. You get run over. So what's something you assume about Chinese people? Bikes? What else? All they eat is rice? See if Jamin remembers. Do they all, they all eat rice? I don't know if you remember. Remember the noodle shop? See, if you draw a line through the middle of China from here down, the rice from here up is noodles and bread. They got noodle shops. And, and, and he can tell you a story about their noodles. So all Chinese eat rice. Anything else?
You think all Chinese people are communists? Yes or no? No? Yeah, we're probably not. Yeah, not all, but, uh, but what percentage is not? You know, everybody think at least 50% or higher, but really it's only like less than 3% is part of the Communist Party. Most of the common people there are common just like you and I. They get the same worries that families have that we have here. Can, well, my, can I raise my child right? Can well, my child go to school? Will my child be successful? Will my child this? They have the same concerns that we have. And uh, so China's an interesting place. And so we're there through a platform of education. We can't go in openly as a missionary. I'm really envious of other missionaries who can go in and get a building and put in the pews and podium and piano and do stuff like that. We, we can't do that. I have to be there on a platform of English, so we're tied to classroom instructions, which can be frustrating. But through education, it gives me a presence in China, and through that presence in China, we're allowed to reach, we, we can reach, you know, certain ones that God brings to us. And so throughout these years, we've got churches started, young men are called to preach, uh, we've got several pastors now. Uh, when I return to Haiko, we'll be starting our, our third work in Haiko City, uh, the Sunday morning, my wife's telling me this past couple of weeks, I mean, we just didn't have, when you got a small uh, uh, house church, we've got a three-bedroom apartment, we've got chairs like this, but we've got uh, all the chairs filled in the hallway, uh, stuck by the door, and some had to go in the next bedroom and just listen through the doorway. And so we're going to be splitting that group up and uh, taking them to another place, and hopefully they can double their size within a couple of years. So, uh, you know, the Chinese people, you, we don't say necessarily they're hungry for the gospel, but the Chinese people, once they hear the truth, that hunger is produced, and they do go out and reach others. So there's a, a lot of challenges to working in China. Um, me and Brother Jessup talked about it, and the two pastors, we've talked about it. Uh, so do pray that God will continue to give us wisdom, to labor there, uh, there's a lot of, uh, I don't want to say restrictions as much as I say there's a lot of discretion that must be used to have a ministry there. And if you really want to understand how to work in a closed country, a lot of times you have to use the Old Testament examples. Uh, think about Joseph. What made Joseph so great in Egypt? Did God just kind of sprinkle favor dust on him and type thing? Now, what did Joseph do? When he was at Potiphar's house, what was he in charge of? Everything. He made Potiphar's house prosper. As long as he made the house prosper, he was in good favor. Now, of course, he was falsely accused of something. He went to jail, but what did he do in jail? He made everything prosper. He was so good, he ran the thing. Then later, of course, he's moved up and he runs the country. But if you look at all these people like Joseph, you look at Mordecai, you look at Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and others like that, they lived in captivities, and whatever they did, they caused something to prosper. And those, you know, Paul says the Old Testament is written for our examples and our learning. So if you want to be successful in a closed country, you've got to learn to make something prosper there. So they will, in China they say, open one eye, close one eye. Yes, we know who you are, but we won't mind what you're doing because of this. And so that's what God's done. And we've been very pleased to see God use us in a special way there. And so as Brother Jamin's saying... Uh, I've taken the word missions, and we've looked at some things about the first few letters. But we, before we do that, you know, let's look at 1 Timothy 2. I just want you to remember a simple thing in verse 4, the verse we've heard all our lives. In verse 4, 
1 Timothy 2, 4. Who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your goodness. Pray you bless the service tonight. And uh, bless throughout this week. The next mission conference, Brother Looks. And pray you bless there. I know some bad weather is on its way maybe. But, Lord, you can control things. I pray, Lord, the weather work out fine. And nothing to hinder from the preaching of God's word. So bless this week for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right. So we know what the Bible says. You'd have all men to be saved. So missions is very important. A lot of times when we look at the gospel, a lot of times we get our eyes just on America, just on our city, or just on where we're at. But you know, God's willing for all to be saved. And that means a great responsibility is placed upon the church. You know, church, we've got an awesome responsibility of getting the gospel out. And Brother Jessup gave some statistics last night. It was amazing of how we've backed off some things. And I want to get a copy of those statistics that you gave. Uh, but, you know, we've got to, you know, really start doing better as a church here in America. Uh, what was the statistics about a, a mosque that's being built how often? Every week in the United States. And we know churches are not being built every week. So it's obvious to understand that's going to be trouble. So God will have all men to be saved. And if he wants all men to be saved, the church has got to be busy. And so that's what missions is all about. God's wanting all men to, all to be saved. And when Jesus came, you know, he came and died for the world. We know that, those things. But yet, when it comes to applying that to our lives and to our daily lives, we seem to have a, uh, we fall back in some areas. So let's keep that in mind when we think about missions. You know, God would have all men to be saved. Now, last night, we looked at some things about the first letter M. The first letter M had to do with what? God wants to do what? He wants to move you. And you, God's always in the moving business. He's our motivation. He's the one that moves us. And uh, we talked about that in Psalm 68, verse 8. We talked about the letter I. God identifies you. You know, we're identified as Christians. And as Christians, it's very important for us, for other people to know who we are. Now, it's one thing to be a Christian, but it's another thing to be a Christian and nobody knows you're one. Now, when people are around you, do they know that you're a Christian? For you to be a light, for you to show... I mean, you're just not going to stand there with our, Has anybody got a halo over their head? If I stand on this light just right, y'all might see a halo. <laughs> right? Now, I didn't buff it good enough. I don't know. Maybe not. But, you know, how do you identify yourself? You are identified. If you're a Christian, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're identified. Other people have to know who you are. No way to do that, you have to speak up. You have to be able to say something. Whatever reason now, in recent years, I think the church has become tamed. We've, the war's tamed us to keep our mouths shut, and Christianity is just for Sundays only. And that's not true. Christianity is for Monday through Saturday. That's when we get a chance to go out there and meet the world and let the world know who we, were, who we are. And if we don't do that, then we're, we're missing out on some things. So we talked about how missions should identify you. Wherever you go, you, you've got a chance to speak for the Lord. The first S was Savior. We was talking about looking for that blessed hope. You know, and the, uh, and the glorious appearing of our, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, right now the world's not looking. You know, when you're looking for something, people know you're looking. You know, if I lose something, I'm doing like this. You know, people know I've lost something or I'm looking for something. Well, every day you should be looking for opportunities to be a witness for our Lord. You know, a lot of times we're waiting for something supposedly just to fall into our lap. That's not the way it happens. You're supposed to be looking for it. You're supposed to be looking busy about our, our work of our Lord and Savior. Then we looked at the last S last night was sending. You know, Romans 8, 3. Yeah, it talked about how you know, God sent his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
So sending is a very important thing for the church. We've got to be busy sending. And uh, you know, there's probably all kinds of statistics in, in that area. But, you know, each church, you know, duplicating itself here somewhere nearby or sending people out to another country, you know, we have to be busy sending. I, 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 there's probably a way we can find out statistics on you know, how many other religions are being sent here. You know, if there's a mosque being built every week, they've got to be sending people to operate. What's, what's called an inman? They're not called pastor. Iman? You know, the be interested to see how many of those are being sent here. You know, so do they believe in missions? It must be obviously that they do. Okay, so that's what we looked at last night, the first four letters, M-I-S-S. So the next letters, I, turn to First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter 2. I think this is one of the most important letters it's more so for the missionaries and for the pastors and those in the ministry. And, and let's read the, the first, uh, verse 8 first. First Thessalonians 2, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are willing to have imparted, and this is going to be the letter I, imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. Now as far as missions, it's got to be more than just giving the gospel. A lot of times we can give the gospel very easily. But just how many times have you given the gospel? Can you even count? No way. Pastor Jamie, how many times have you given the gospel? Lux? You know, myself, I don't know how many times. But you know what? There's something, there's something very important there. We were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. You know, giving the gospel is one thing. We've got to remember that. Giving the gospel, it can be easy. The presenting the gospel, whether a gospel track or a gospel message, or asking a person to come to church, or asking a person, are you saved? You know, within a community, you've got to do more than just impart the gospel to the people. You know, in China, I think the missionaries who are successful there are in different places, in different areas, they do more than just give the gospel. When you go back and read some of those stories of some of the missionaries from days gone by, you know, they died on the field there. They were there they, through suffering, through sickness, and through various things. You've got to do more than just preach the gospel. You've got to impart a part of yourself. So when you think about Jesus, when he came, when Jesus came, did he realize he was going to never return back the same way he came? He realized he was going back in death. He was willing to impart himself. He gave, he gave his life. So when you think about imparting something, it's got to be much more than just, I'm here to preach the gospel to you. I'm here to serve with you. I'm here to have compassion on the people. I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. I'm here to be a part of your life. And so whether you're here, you have to do that. Whether Wherever there is, for me it's China, for other missionaries be other countries, wherever the here or there is, it's got to be something more than just telling the gospel to people. You've got to impart a part of yourself to the people that you're witnessing to. Now, if you can't impart something more than just the gospel... I think I failed in that many times. Sometimes I got too mechanical. How many has been mechanical and given the gospel before? Are you saved? Okay, here's track. Bye. We can go through the motions very easily. But those, if you look back at those that you did lead to the Lord, those who did accept Christ as Savior, a lot of times we gave them more than just the gospel itself. We imparted part of us to them. You know, and there's just something about that verse that is something I've never really caught before, never saw before. But when God laid upon my heart this idea of missions and 
how God's got to move you and how you're identified and you've got to be looking for the Savior and be sending. I started seeing this thing about impart, impart more than just the words itself. You know, and you look at Paul. How many times was Paul beaten for the people? How many times was he in prison? He was shipwrecked. Now, imagine being shipwrecked out there in the water. How many days? Not just one. Not just two. And he was still ready to go out and preach more. None of these things troubled him. None of these things bothered him. These are just little bumps in the road as far as carrying out the mission, as far as getting the gospel where he was going. So it doesn't matter how many times you're beaten or if you're beaten, if you're in jail, if you're not, if you're shipwrecked, if you're not. He had a desire to be among the people. And so when he wrote this verse, he knew what it meant. I was not willing only to uh, give you the gospel, but I was willing to impart unto you my own soul. Now that's something deep. That's something that's far deeper than just the message itself. That's something about you giving something to them. And whoever them might be. You're going to have to be willing to make some sacrifices a lot of times. Do something. Something will come out and it's more than just words on a paper. Will you impart yourself to the people you are witnessing to? Now, I believe there's a lot more to that verse. I believe there's a lot more things that can be said about that verse. Uh, I've got some other ideas I want to say in, in future things, but I'm working on those things. But make sure you don't get mechanical. Don't just say... You know, three points in a poem, get on your knees and pray. You know, when you work with the people, whether it's here or there, wherever, wherever that, those countries or places might be, you've got to impart part of yourself to the people you're talking to. And in time, that will become real to the people and they will understand some things about you. So missions is about God moving in your life. It's about you being identified. Of course, it's about the Savior, about being sent. But it's also about imparting part of you to those people. The letter O, turn to Acts 14. Fourteen twenty-seven, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. You know, God's good at opening doors. I never would have dreamed God would open doors for me to be in China. Even before I went to China, there's some jail ministries we had that is very unique in our area because other churches had control of it. God opened doors for our church to gain control of it. God opened doors for us to have those ministries. You know, little by little, I watched God open doors. Now, when God opens doors, no man can shut them. When God called me to go to China, I was amazed. I said, you know, Lord, where are you going to put me? I mean, I'm an army sergeant. You want me to go in and teach what? Conversational English? English is not my strength. If you listen to me long enough, you'll see a lot of errors in my English. But me to go to China as a conversational English speaker? I said, you know, Lord, I was a sergeant. What am I going to do? Hey, you, stand up, speak English. That's what an army sergeant would do. You want me to teach English? Where are you going to hide me? I'm six foot six. Jamin, do you see any Chinese people my height when you was there? God, do you know what you're doing? I'm six foot six. I can walk around a corner and a Chinese person be coming there and they, <laughs> they will scream. If I'm standing at the elevator and the elevator door is open, they, <laughs> I've had, I don't know how many almost heart attacks from people just seeing me suddenly. 
I mean, I mean, and it's literally shocking them that if I if I'm having a bad day, and I really want to have fun because of all the pushing they do. I'll get right there at the elevator when it opens and just purposely scare some people. That's terrible, ain't it? <laughs> Where are you going to hide me? I say, God, if I walk down the streets, it's just, it's just everybody stops and they do this. I've had people on a bicycle in the early days when, before there was that many cars. They'd be riding a bicycle and they'd be watching me and their bicycle crash into a tree. Yeah. God, how can I do anything? Where can I go where I'm not going to be noticed? Well, when God opens doors, when God does something, it doesn't matter how big you are. See, to me, it makes sense to call somebody, instead of six foot six, to call somebody five foot six. It makes more sense to call somebody who has a professorship in English. But he didn't do it. He called an army sergeant, six foot six. Everywhere you go, Mr. Mills, you're going to be seen. You're going to be noticed. Now, be a light. Now, let me ask you that. Now, is that to my advantage or disadvantage then? Which one is it? A disadvantage or an advantage? It's an advantage. In the, in the eyes of man, in the eyes of the way I would normally think, we think that's a disadvantage. But now I've got a chance to show the Chinese people something about who I am. I've got a chance to impart something to them that's not just preaching. No, hey, here's the Mills family. Now, some things happened. The first time we had a workshop was back in 2003. I had formed the organization in 2001. We helped the first two years rebuild some schools. Then the government came to me and said, Mr. Mills, we'd like to have our first workshop. Uh, could you train some teachers? Now, I was in China at the time. No way to come back. No funds to come back. I agreed to it and said, Lord, I just got to trust you that you could raise up some people that will come to China this first time. We sent a newsletter out. Within a couple of months, some people answered. And we just had to have one workshop at the time. We had four teachers come. But something y'all might not remember, in 2003, a special disease had started in China. Does anybody remember the SARS? People were leaving China in groves. I said, Lord, you've opened this wonderful door for us to have the first workshop. There's a minority group. I showed you my slides you know, last night about the minority. It was a minority workshop with these unreached people groups. I said, if you've opened the door... Do I tell these people not to come? And I prayed about it, and I said, well, Lord, you've opened the door. I only know to do but one thing. If you've opened the door, trust you. My girls were still in college at that time. I gave them a chance of, won't y'all come and help us? We brought our family back, to some of our girls back to China, two of them back to China. And these four teachers came in. They came to the Hong Kong airport. It was a ghost town. Nobody was in the airport because everybody had already fled. And then when, when my children came through, they wouldn't even get close to them. Yeah, go through. And I, they was on the plane, the empty plane. Now, China's never forgot that, that we brought a team in when they was having the SARS epidemic. Every morning when the workshop began, there was a nurse there at the school gate taking temperatures. Uh, the, every day they'd take a temperature, and every night they'd take a temperature. And the whole 30 days we were there, of course, there was no SARS outbreak there in Hainan at all. I kind of wonder why there was no SARS in Hainan. Will somebody tell me why? 
What do you think? Any ideas? I think God blessed. I think God saw something and said, well, all right, there's a door open. They, they went through it. Now, this blessed Hainan for that. But Hainan, you know, a lot of people say, why did Mr. Mills get a green card? I think it's some of those things back in 2003. We imparted some more things just about teaching, just about the gospel. We was willing to do some things for the Chinese people. And so when God opened a door for us back in 2003, we stepped through that door. See, if we'd have said no in 2003, I wonder if there would have been a 2004 for a workshop. I wonder if they would have made that offer again. If they didn't make an offer in 2004, there'd been no 2007. If you didn't come in 2007, would your life be different today? You know, he was a criminal justice major. Shortly after coming back in 2007, you changed to pastoral? Uh, I, I had, uh, I was a yeah, and so I'm hoping maybe China had an effect on that. But when God opens doors, God opens doors that's wonderful. And when, once those doors are open, you can't look around you of what's happening around you. You just got to see the door. And when you see the doors that God's opened in missions, go to it. Now, you're going to get a lot of distraction from here. Just keep your eyes on the door. God will open doors. And that's the, more than the most part, important part of missions. It, missions is not an accident. A lot of times when God's got doors open, he's got a way for you to get there. Now, he's going to build your faith. It's not so much test your faith as much as it's build your faith. He's going to build your faith as these things happen. He's going to show you how he can get you to that door. But you've got to be willing to head toward that door. So when God opens doors, it's special doors. And when God opens doors, no man can close it. We've been in China now 20 years, and we've learned to work through with the culture, not around the culture, but through the culture. Now, as you learn to work through the culture, God will continue to place you in higher positions. Uh, when it came time to get our organization registered, they was asking me to bring teachers to China. I said, listen, that takes years of work and paperwork to get approved through Beijing. I told them very frankly I didn't have the time or the efforts to make that many trips to Beijing. They told me not to worry. They said, just submit the paperwork and we'll walk it through for you. Our organization was registered within six months. And usually it's a two to three year process of making various trips to Beijing to meet different officials. Hainan walked ours through. So when God opens doors, you've got to accept that door is open and realize just walk. Just go. Now when you walk through open doors... You don't run through them. A lot of times we get in too big of a hurry and we rush through something and we rush through something and we get ahead of God. But just walk through the doors that God gives you. When you walk through those doors, God will bless. So God opens doors. There's doors open in many fields, not just China. There's doors open all over this world, but who will walk through a door? Who will be willing to let God show them what door He would like you to walk through? There's doors... And I can just name country after country. There's doors here in America. There's doors in Canada. There's doors in Africa. There's doors, and we just name the thousands of doors that's everywhere. But when doors are open, why are people not walking through those doors? Why are we staying back? We've got doors to reach our neighbors. We've got doors to reach our community. We've got doors to reach people that work with us. We've got doors to reach people. There's doors available everywhere to us, but a lot of times... We won't try to recognize the door that's open unto us. We've got to be conscious of what God's open, what doors are available to us.
the letter N. Turn to Romans 13. Romans 13, 11. Romans 13, 11. So we've seen M, the first one. God's got to move you in missions. You've got to be moved. We saw I, you identified. S, Savior. S, sin. I to impart. O for open doors. Now the letter N, 14, 11, has got to do with something about now. And that knowing the time that it, excuse me, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. You know, the other thing about missions is now. It's not later. It's not when I this or when I that or why should I now or why should everything whether here or there is something about now. You know, it's very important that we say knowing the time. I, I'm afraid in America we don't know the time anymore. It's not talking about this time on my arm or the clock on the wall. Do we know the time? Now it is high time to awake out of sleep. If I was asked the question, is the church asleep? The body of Christ, is it awake? For something happened these last several years, these 20, 30 years, the church has got too content with things. And it's time that we awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Now each day that we live, we're nearer to something. And that's the Lord coming back. If the Lord was to come back tonight, we'd be excited. We'd be happy. How many people would be left behind? Think about that. How many of your relatives would be left behind? How many of your friends would be left behind? How many of your neighbors would be left behind? When I think about what's happening in China, one-fifth of the world's population, yes, there's hundreds of missionaries over there, but we're just scratching the surface. We're not making a deep impact. Yes, churches are being started. Yes, people are being called to preach. On that island that I'm on, that little small island, it takes just about uh, four hours to drive north to south, and same thing from east to west, eight million people. What percentage is Christian? Eight million people? A very small percent. Now, knowing the time, that now is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. How long have you been saved? How long have you been identified as a Christian? As we think about those times, from that point I've been saved, what kind of impact have I had on my neighborhood? What kind of impact have I had on my, where I work? What kind of impact have I had on my family? What kind of, see, do you understand what now is? A lot of times we say, well, later I will talk to them. Later we can do this, and later what about that? It's always later, later, but it's never now. Now, this week, pick up a phone and call your relative. Hey, I know you go to church, but I want you to be a guest of mine for a special service. Don't try to get in a tug of war with church names, but say, hey, maybe this month you're having a special service for this or a special service for that. Come to my service. Be my guest. Invite them. 
Find out throughout the month what the pastors are having. And say, hey, we've got a special service for this. This is what they'll be talking about this. I think you'll find it interesting. Won't you be my... And come. And see, they start seeing something about you. That you realize there's something about now that's important. You know, if we don't get back to this idea of realizing knowing the time. Knowing the time. We're going to kind of just slip by. And not realize that the Lord can come back tonight. How many of you like love to see the Lord come back tonight? That'd be great. But at the same time, I know I've got a brother that's not saved. I've got a sister that might be saved. As much as I'm looking forward to seeing it, I've got to look down at the other hand. Now, I talk, I talk to them regularly about it. They know, they know I'm going to say something. I want him to come so bad, but how many of y'all got some folks like that? Everybody probably, right? You know what? Now, not later, now. And you want to make ways of making a now till they start seeing your concern. Knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than we believe. Now, not later. Not that we hope that later they will understand. No, not later. Now. We've always got to have that before us. Now. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. The last S. We got M. God's got to move you. I identify you. S, Savior. S, sin. I impart. O, open doors. N, now. The last S, you can't talk about missions without mentioning sacrifice. Everything about missions, whether it's here or there, there's sacrifices that have to be made. If you go on visitation, when they have visitation, you've got to sacrifice your time. If you've got to go on visitation, it's on a cold night, you've got to sacrifice your health. If you've got to trudge through snow, you've got to sacrifice your feet. You know, there's sacrifices that's got to be made when you serve the Lord. Paul made many sacrifices. How many times was he beaten? How many times was he whipped? How many times was he put in jail? How many times was he shipwrecked? He was constantly making sacrifices. When you think about sacrifice, look at Philippians 2, verse 17. And this is a different kind. And a lot of times we fail to see this one part of the word sacrifice. Verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I what? I joy and rejoice with you all. That's a powerful mission verse. A lot of time it goes unseen. It comes unnoticed. You know, as we missionaries, as we're sent out, you have to make a sacrifice. When you do faith promise, when you have to look at your bills, you get bills, but you get faith promise. Or you look at your bills and your needs. I got to buy shoes for Johnny. I got to buy shoes for Susie. But here's my faith promise. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. But... You know what? If I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy. And I rejoice with you all. Yes, many missionaries make sacrifices. But I recognize you make sacrifices too. You know, missions, there's sacrifices on both ends. Which is the greater? They're not, they're equal. Yes, I've got to travel overseas. Yes, I've got to worry about this and that. But yes, you've got to make a sacrifice. And when you make that sacrifice, 
I joy, I rejoice with you all. There's a connection there in sacrifice. Just on the sacrifice might differ, but it's a sacrifice. You know, don't think your sacrifice is small. But you've got to realize there's sacrifices that must be made. A lot of times you might, just like we have to give up certain things. You know, a lot of people ask me, well, what do you miss most about America? Really nothing. <laughs> but I miss my children. I miss my grandchildren. My wife came home a few weeks ago. Uh, my oldest daughter had a baby last year. This is the first time my wife got to hold her grandchild. Now, tell me about that. Is that important? Is that special to hold that grandchild for the first time? You now, each one of my grandchildren that were born, uh, the, the first ones were born, I made a way to always send my wife home to be with her daughter, to be there with the first one being born. But that was good. But when the second one was born, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. If you send mom home every time, that's good. <laughs> that could be a lot of flights home. But we always told each one of our children we'd have mom home for that first child being born. We'd make the sacrifice and find ways to get mom home to her little girl. But, you know, our children miss us. I'm glad of Skype now. That makes a world of difference in what those early years were like. I'm very thankful for being able to do you know, FaceTime on all these different things. You can video chat and, and stuff and see the grandchildren. I've got one daughter. She's getting ready to have a baby in May, right? I leave, and a month later, the baby's born. We'll have to wait till next year to see the baby. But, you know, that's small sacrifice. It really is. I mean, yes, it's an important thing to be associated with your family, a closeness with your family, watch your children grow, be a presence among your grandchildren. But nothing compares to the, the grandchildren we have in China. You see, right now, we've got some some students that are students. They're married now. They're having children. Those little children come up to me. They call me and Cindy, Grandpa and Grandma. We're in Chinese, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. And uh, Nai Nai is what they call Cindy, Nai Nai. That's grandmother. So on Sunday morning, we had a lot of young kids come up, yeah, 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 yeah. And they'll jump up and hug me. You know what? Yes, I got grandchildren at home waiting, but yet I've got grandchildren in the faith. And they crawl up my arms and call me, yeah, yeah. God's blessed me with both. If I'd have stayed, I'd only have one part. Now that I've went, I've got some on both sides. These don't replace mine, but they do comfort you. And it helps us through some things. Now, as we start experiencing the empty nest, we started getting these college kids coming over. On summer, that summer trip there, was me and Cindy lonely? <laughs> Bunches of kids there. Now, a bunch of them have stayed. We've got over 20 there right with us now. They all the time come to our house and they'll kind of look at my wife and say, Miss Cindy, we know you're busy, but will you cook for us tonight? We're missing some of Mama's cooking. Cindy will go to the kitchen and she gets to be Mama to about 20 different kids. Different times, different ones come over and request something for Cindy to cook. My wife's cooking just as much as she would be if she was back home with her own kids. And so she gets to be Mama to many kids now. Not just our own. She gets to be mama to many of them now. 
when it's their birthday time, we make a big deal out of their birthday since they're away from home. And they'll put in a, I want a chocolate cake, or I want this kind of cake, or that kind of cake. She gets to be mama to them. So yes, sacrifices are made, but God returns those sacrifices and blesses you in other ways. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. That's the blessings of missions. We get to rejoice together. You're a part of the work. And all these, uh, I love what Brother Jamin did the other night when he showed all those different missionaries who've been here. I got to see some things I never heard of. I, again, I will never forget the thing about Mennonites in Mexico. I had never heard of that. I'm going to have fun talking about that for a long time to come. I, I learned something different. And, and Mennonites in Mexico speak low German. Not high German, but low German. You know, never would have dreamed something like that. But, you know, that's how we, when you're part of the work, that's part of the sacrifice, and you get to rejoice in that with them. So when you part of missions, when you get part of missions, and you join in the sacrifice, and that's what you've got to remember. Everything about mission, I think that last letter kind of sums it up. You've got to join in the sacrifice. And when you join in the sacrifice of getting people to the mission field, you're part of their labors there. You're part of their work of love, their labor of faith. You've got a chance to be a sacrifice. But you've got to be willing to give to missions, be part of it. And when you do that, God's going to bless in ways you never dreamed. You'll have doors open unto you. Some things will happen here. But it's a sacrifice. Sometimes you have to be willing to give up something that somebody else might be able to do something. And that's what a sacrifice is all about. So, yea, if I be offered, or if he be offered, or whoever these other men that was on the, on the video we showed, if I be offered on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Sacrifice. Missions, easy to understand in many ways, but yet we have to look at it carefully. God's got to move you. Will you allow God to move you? You've got to be willing to be identified. You've got to be looking for the Savior. You've got to understand God's in descending business. And then you've got to be willing to impart more than just the message of God. You've got to impart yourself to the people. And when you start doing that, doors open, and you start really realizing the urgency of now. And then when you start seeing those things, the sacrifice is there. You can start realizing what it means. I can give up something. I can give up this. I can do this. And as the sacrifices are made, missions happens. It will happen. Churches will come to life and churches will get excited if they see things in Peru or Mexico or Canada or China. You know, when missions is seen and once the doors are open and sacrifices are made, missions comes to life. But are you willing to make a sacrifice? Brother Jamin?